VinePair's New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter. In Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And now, introducing our third co-host. From our New York City headquarters, also, I'm Erica Ducey. And this is the VinePair podcast. And uh, Erica, welcome to uh, the the fun. Uh, I, I think that I'm super fun. I'm not really sure Zach is that much fun. But uh, <laughs> thanks so much for now for joining as the third co-host. I'm psyched to be here. Uh, so, Erica, before we kick off today's episode, instead of our witty banter um, segments, which now are going to be a lot more fun with your perspective, uh, why don't we start by just getting to know you? So tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what brings you to VinePair and to the podcast. Yeah, so I uh, joined VinePair in January as uh, editor-in-chief and chief content officer for the company. And um, previous to that, uh, I was working uh, at a publication, an industry publication called 750 Daily. I was a co-founder of that publication, covering wine, beer, and spirits for and all of the three tiers of the industry. And so that's kind of the industry side of the background that I bring. But previous to that, I worked for uh, several publications, Sever, Architectural Digest, leading digital teams. So um, I'm super excited to be here. And uh, we have a lot in store this year. So in addition to all of the really excellent programming that we do for consumers, as we've always done, um, we'll be introducing some really exciting new products for our friends in the industry. Um, so that's going to include a new vertical, um, a lot of articles for people uh, across wine, beer, and spirits, new podcasts, new newsletter. Um, we're gearing up to have a pretty epic 2020. Pretty exciting. Um, and on a personal note, are you a, like a, a, are you more a beer person, more a wine person, more a spirits person? You love everyone equally? I mean, I wrote a cocktail book, a classic cocktail book, some years ago. Uh, so that was sort of my foray into the industry. And then um, more recently, though, I really have been covering wine um, for about 10 years. But I have to say, you know, I'd say that probably my weakest area would be beer, but wine and spirits is really kind of the areas that I'm most passionate about. And where do you stand on Seattle as a place? I mean, hey, I'm from Seattle. So, yeah. You know. <laughs> she's, she's my Trojan horse, Adam. <sighs> I knew. I mean, I knew I was going to get that answer, but <laughs> I'm still going. I'm still going to hate on you in Seattle, anyway, Zach. Well, now she can refute you in person. I know. We're we're so excited to have you. Um, I, I think it's uh, it's going to be really fun as we continue this journey with this podcast uh, to to bring in your perspective, which is awesome. Um, so let's get right into today's topic, right? So, um, we talked about this a little bit before, but uh, Zach, uh, Erica, we were all really excited to do it again. So we're going to bring on uh, Tim McCurdy, Chef Tim McCurdy, our our staff writer here at one of our staff writers here at Vinepair, who wrote a really amazing article a few weeks ago about the continued rise of hard seltzer and what that means for the industry. And the reason we wanted to bring Tim on is, uh, you know, I know Zach, you and I have talked about this a little bit back and forth, but then Erica and I in the office as well have chatted about this, that this is really the most disruptive uh, beverage since probably the 70s in terms of uh, what's happened to the alcohol um, industry. It's extremely disruptive to all three areas of the alcohol industry, which is what makes it so unique. Uh, and so Tim has done a ton of research. So we want to talk about sort of what's happened in seltzer, the history of where it's what's happened, uh, where it came from and where it's going. So Tim, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. How's it going, everyone? I'm good. I'm good. I'm feeling okay. I'm a little warm, but I'm good. What about you, Zach? Uh, it's a lovely day here, actually. It's, uh, you know, it was uh, sunny and warm, and yeah, it feels like spring. feels like hard seltzer season. That's great. does not feel like spring here, but people drink it all the time. So there's no such thing as hard seltzer season. 
so, <laughs> so basically to kick that off, uh, Tim, why don't, I'd love to start off the podcast by just talking a little bit about, uh, what the piece sort of looked at in the industry and, um, what the impetus was for writing the piece in the first place. And then we can get into sort of the nitty gritty of Seltzer, uh, you know, as a category and sure. why everyone should be paying attention to it if they not, or if they not, if they are not already and why they shouldn't be writing it off. Absolutely. So I think, um, something at VinePair that was very interesting for us, especially last year was we kind of covered hard seltzer a lot as a news topic, uh, especially when there was like surging sales, there was shortages of specific brands that I think everyone's aware of right now. White Claw. Exactly. And we covered it from that news perspective all the time. We also did a huge tasting roundup, but we never really did a deep dive into the category and said like, okay, where are hard seltzer drinkers coming from? How has this exploded so fast? And, you know, it's clear that it's no longer a fad that many people thought that it might be at the end of last summer. So where is it going into 2020 and beyond? So to kick that off, I don't know, we've had a bunch of conversations here in terms of the beginnings of hard seltzer and the beginnings of hard seltzer really were that it was not hard seltzer at all right it was spiked seltzer uh and so that was this one uh brand that a lot of people may know bon and viv right so first of all like have you guys had bon and viv before no i actually really like it i like bon and viv really yeah it's one of my preferred or when we did the tasting roundup last year it was one of my preferred hard seltzer brands erica you have not had it either i've not tried it so, I mean, were you, so were you a seltzer drinker before, like, were you aware at 750 Daily before coming to us? Were you aware of seltzer? Was it something you were talking about? Have you, had you had it before? You know, it was not really on my radar until last summer. Really? I'd say last summer, sort of the summer of White Claw, I kind of said like, oh my God, what is, what is happening with this category and who are all the people behind these brands? And like, lo and behold, you know, we've got Mike Anthony behind uh, the Mike's Hard Lemonade, behind uh, White Claw, you know, and then Truly is Boston Beer, you know, and then now we have AB InBev and all of these big players really jumping into the fray. And so um, once I saw the big players start to jump in, then I said, okay, this is a serious thing and I need to start to understand it so yeah i'd say i've tasted through uh, some of the bigger brands um but bon and viv you know a pioneer but i think they're a little bit of a cautionary tale as well yeah so absolutely. what is their story tim so i think the bon and viv story is uh even the bigger hard seltzer story in an you know like the origins of it so bon and viv was started by a another nick not the producer of this show nick shields um <laughs> sorry nick i know you're a big seltzer fan we man. know you're a big seltzer fan in the show so he's based out of Connecticut, and it was the, the year was 2012, and he's sat in a dive bar, and he sees five female customers at the dive bar order uh, vodka sodas one after the other. And this guy was already in the beverage industry at the time. I think he'd done like fermentation science and food science at Cornell and UC Davis. So, you know, he already knew his stuff. And he said, well, why don't I create a product that basically puts this beverage into a can because it's so popular. And because he had a brewing background, I'm assuming that was the reason that he went for the hard seltzer route, which is, um, so I'm not sure if many listeners are aware because I'm sure people know about like White Claw and different brands, but what hard seltzers actually are. And they are the product of brewed malt or sugar. They're called flavored malt beverages. You might have tried it before in things like... um, What's it called? Smirnoff Ice. When There's, you got ice. Basically. Yeah, yeah. When you got ice, Mike's Hard Lemonade, other drinks like that. Zima. Zima. Yeah, that's the other one. That's what I was trying to think of. 
So he didn't invent the category, but he invented this idea of trying to create something which essentially resembled a vodka soda. And he called his brand Spike Seltzer. And initially, back then, when it launched back in 2013, and then you start to see people like White Claw entering the fray, I think truly was also around that time. It might have been a few years later. They all released their brands, but were calling it Spike Seltzer back then. Then AB InBev come in and they say, you know, this looks to be going pretty well. We're going to invest in your company. We're going to take over. And a few years down the line, they rebrand as Bon and Viv. And coming back to Adam's question in the beginning, this being like a cautionary tale, um, in 2020, as it stands now, Bon and Viv really is not one of the major players in the hard seltzer game. I mean, it's only notable for being one of the originators. But now in terms of sales, I think it's probably already fallen behind Bud Light Seltzer, which launched this year, which is crazy. That's insane. So basically ABI took controlling interest, renamed it Bon and Viv, but then sort of squandered it away. Yeah. And now all of a sudden isn't a player at all. Or isn't a player in the way that it could have been. Yeah, so like in the article that I wrote, I said that Bon and Viv is essentially like the MySpace of the hard seltzer <laughs> landscape. Because like you had a head start on everyone and now, where are you? Like, no one knows Tom. What is Tom doing? I was going to say, he's listening to this podcast, hopefully. <laughs> Hi, Tom. And so what was their big misstep? So this is kind of something that we've talked about in the office, and we didn't really want to put in the article. The article was getting pretty long, by the way. And also, it was more speculation. But one thing that we specifically noticed was that when they did the Bon & Viv rebrand, they seemed to be targeting a specific market. And we would probably describe that as being, like, middle-aged women. Right. And they rebranded it with this, like, it already had a nautical theme, but it was kind of like mermaids, and the packaging and the marketing was geared towards women. And what we know now about the hard seltzer market is it's an almost 50-50 split among men and women. So they've really kind of isolated half of their customers. So basically, if you gender this product, you screw yourself. I mean, that's what we've seen. That's, that's what we've seen with Bon & Viv. And also, another really big mistake was... They were called Spike Seltzer in the beginning. The whole category was known as Spike Seltzer. Then by adding two words into the name, Bon and Viv Spike Seltzer, you're kind of diluting that message. And when your two main rivals, White Claw and Truly, are using the term hard seltzer, you're basically giving up ownership of that category, which is a really stupid move as well. Well, I was going to say, I think a, a really interesting thing here, too, that, that is curious to me about, and I'm, Tim, I'm, I'm curious if you, uh, in looking at all this data, if you saw it, you know, you talked about that um, sort of equal gender split 50-50. And, and is that something that's true kind of no matter what brand you're looking at, maybe with the exception of something like Bon & Viv that was very intentionally marketed at a specific segment? Is it, is it Are all the brands kind of relatively equally popular among, um, you know, men and women? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it might skew ever so slightly in favor of women, but we're talking an almost 50-50 split for the category. And I think in all, in all the reading that I've done about it, you know, it was a real curveball. No one saw that young males, millennial, Gen, Gen Z, were going to embrace this category. And when you think about those, those drinkers, like they are volume drinkers. And, and at this point in this younger stage in their life, like they're happening to be a little bit health conscious, it seems. So I think it hit the right notes at the right time. And it, it helped that there were, um, influencers like, um, like Trevor Wallace, that comedian who, uh, 
picked up the laws of your drinking claws. Exactly. He picked that up, turned this into a meme and, you know, it was mocking, but kind of loving it and calling it flavorless, but a fun drink. And so I think, I think consumers, especially younger consumers have really understood this to be a category of like all the party, none of the bloat, right? I don't know, but I see this thing that, that kills me about this is I think that, again, we talk a lot about the bubble on this podcast and if you're only paying attention to the bubble, yeah, you miss this. But if you weren't paying attention to the bubble, and it's even that like the people who work for ABI, even even those listening to this podcast, no offense, live in New York City for the most part, right? And and didn't even see what they had created, which is this entire market of young men who were drinking Michelob Ultra because it was low calorie and because they were running ads during the Super Bowl about going on trail runs with your boys and then slamming Michelob Ultra afterwards. And so like the fact that they didn't realize that this same market would gravitate towards a beverage that was basically low alcohol and an alcohol delivery system, I mean, sorry, low calorie and an alcohol delivery system is kind of interesting to me, like that they really thought that that was so separate. Because if you look at the evolution of Heart, the hard seltzer category, it really is initially, I think, brewers, craft brewers miscalculating that they needed to make this for people in their tap rooms who weren't drinking their craft beer, of which they assumed, again, another miscalculation, right, were women, which also isn't true because we've known for the longest time that there's a large majority of women in the tap room drinking craft beer, just like the men. But the brewers are like, oh, well, I don't want to bring in wine. I don't want to bring in spirits, so let me make this seltzer. And they all started doing it. And I think a lot of them, yeah, got lost by this one brand that was like, no, like we kind of see. I would love to get inside Mark Anthony Brands and talk to the marketing people there and be like, how did you see this when everyone else missed it? Like how did you realize that this could totally be – or was it a happy accident as well? But it doesn't seem like it. When you look at the branding, it's like – they knew exactly that they were going for both. And I bet the answer to that is the, the same thing they did with Mike's Hard Lemonade, which like I think if you if you were to take that product and look at it from before it was on the market and, th- and that was on the market, uh, I don't know when it first came on, but it was a big deal like when I was in high school. Um, and that was like a drink that a lot of people drank. And it was, you know, boys and girls both. It was not just uh, girls. And I think there would have been a perception that, oh, here's like a sweet alcoholic drink it we're gonna gender it we're gonna assume and they didn't you know they made i mean if anything they their advertising was like overtly masculine in a lot of categories um and with with mike's hard lemonade and i think they just they probably recognize that like you know a lot of this stuff that we assume oh you know that that there has to be a gender split on these drinks like we can sell to both like why not what's stopping us so i think that the question i have tim which is interesting is to, to to go to zach's point about mike's hard Mike's Hard definitely was a flash in the pan. Zima was a flash in the pan. Uh, but we really do have an opinion here that seltzer is not. And that it's going to continue to grow. And that actually it is a beverage that I think some people are going to start taking seriously. Right? There's going to be three or four mass market brands, just like in beer, wine, et cetera, that kind of dominate market share and are really – Again, in all categories, alcohol delivery systems, right? You can look across the board in wine at your at your sub ten dollar brands that lead the market. They're really the preferred way that people get alcohol through those brands. You look at it through really cheap vodka and tequila, etc. Those brands you can find it in beer. But then there's that twenty five thirty percent of the market that's for connoisseurs, and you can see that that's happening in seltzer, right? Is is, is but so what is it that makes us so confident that this category is going to have staying power? 
So my opinion on this, and my opinion having spoken to multiple people involved in some of these brands, I spoke to someone from Truly, could not get someone on the phone from White Claw, sadly. But my opinion is that this is going to continue because of the, uh, you might call it, nutritional value of these drinks. And it's not just what they contain, but how they are packaging it and showing it. So the hard seltzer formula is basically 100 calories, maybe a little bit less, maybe slightly more, very low sugar content, and between 4.5 and 5% alcohol. And many people that I spoke to for that piece were saying to me, the alcohol industry wasn't serving consumers in the same way that the food industry already was. So people care about what they're putting in their body. People want to know the amount of calories they consume But that just wasn't being made, that information wasn't readily available on, say, a bottle of wine or most beers. So they said, let's put this information front and and center, and there are people out there who will care. And I think there are people out there who will continue to care, and that's why I think the category is here to stay. So taking that sort of um, idea that that hard seltzer is going to be with us as as a category, and whether it's you know, we talk about it as a as a fourth category um, in addition to beer, wine, and spirits, or we still kind of maybe lump it in under beer or whatever. Erica, I have a question for you, which is, you know, what do you think of as sort of being interesting potential angles to explore with hard seltzer? Because as someone who, you know, occasionally writes for Vine Pair, I was thinking about this, uh, you know, preparing for this podcast. And I was like, what would I what would I even be interested in writing about? And I think Tim did a great job of sort of looking at both the the sort of statistics and the, the the statistical case for hard seltzer as like a big part, a growing part, and a and a big part of the alcohol industry, and that's an important story. And I think there's something to be said about you know maybe continuing to explore some of the origins and how marketing really helped create this sort of gender parity in in the um, customer base for the spirit or for the drink. But I'm wondering like. One of the challenges for me, and I think maybe it's been the reason that a lot of people in the, um, you know, uh, in the whatever, the the sort of craft side of alcohol have dismi- have been dismissive of hard seltzer as a category is it feels hard to tell additional stories because it's hard to see where there's room for something kind of craft, I guess, in a product whose, as, as Tim was just saying, whose selling point is kind of that it fits into a low-cal, low-carb lifestyle. Like, that inherently is sort of designed around stripping out a lot of the things that we would find um, potentially interesting to talk about. And and I'm not I'm not saying I'm right. I, I would love to actually be proven wrong because I think that there, there it is right that this is going to be a big part of beverage alcohol for the foreseeable future. But but do you, Erica, do you have a sense for like what is what what angles are there out there for this? Yeah, I mean, I think from my perspective, when I look at this as an editor, I'm thinking follow the data. Our highest performing articles in 2019 at Vine Pair were about hard seltzer. So it's not about what I want; it's about what consumers want. And the reality is that the total alcohol consumption is flat in 2019, it was, and that wine's share is shrinking. And so this is the first time uh, that that happened since 2000, that wine's share of alcohol consumption went down. So I, as a person, love to talk about wine stories and the craft and the the excitement that I have for um, all my friends in the winemaking community. But in this case, I am going to deliver what readers want. And so we'll be the first publication coming out soon uh, who's, who are doing actual hard seltzer reviews. That's how serious we're taking this category. 
And I would just like to jump in here as well a little bit and say that, you know, Adam has touched upon it. The hard seltzer category really does mimic beer in many ways, where you have a small number of very large brands controlling what some people are putting at maybe like 75% of the hard seltzer market. So then you have maybe at the moment like 300 other brands trying to compete for 25%. Now, some of them will be big brands like Bon & Viv, um, Coors, uh, what's it? Mil- um, Miller Coors are coming out with one. You know, like a bunch of other huge Corona brands. Yeah, yeah, all that Corona, stuff, yeah. Like they're all getting involved. But within that space as well, you will have craft brands. And these craft brands will be the same as beer, where they have a backstory, where they have an origin story, where they have more things to talk about. And it's the same as beer. You know, what is there left to discuss about Bud Light? Not, not a lot, really. But there are craft beer stories continually that we are publishing on VinePair. And I think the same will be true of Hard Seltzer. It's just going to take some time as well for those brands to emerge. I have to push back on this a little bit because I don't think that that, that analogy is correct. Because one thing that is different about seltzer, at least at this point, and it could turn out to be different, is that if the motivating factor for a lot of people is low-cal, low-carb, you know, craft beer came about because people were sick of the limited flavor palette of macro lager and that was available in the U.S., and they wanted beer that tasted like more, and they weren't concerned with how many calories it was. I mean, it's if you look at how many calories are in a standard craft IPA, you can't fairly compare that to, you know, Bud Light, which is trying to do something very different. And and that was fine. But I don't know what it what it what does it mean to make a non low cal hard seltzer? I mean, you're, we're now we're kind of like, are we just going back to beer? Um, and I just wonder if there's going to ever be interest in craft seltzer that's not just made on a smaller scale, which is appealing to some people, you know, they want to buy local, they want to support a local business, maybe they have more exotic flavorings. But if the goal is still to kind of end up with this product that is first and foremost about, you know, sort of low-cal, low-carb, you kind of eliminate a lot of the things that a, a someone making a beverage can do to make it interesting and different. And and basically, it's just, what flavor am I adding to my flavorless base? And that's that's interesting, and there's a lot out there, and there's a lot that can be done, but I'm not sure that there's space to say, you know, to do what craft beer did and say, hey, we're going we're gonna to throw this whole model out, and we're going to make beer that tastes like something, and we don't at this point give a shit if it's 450 calories look i think in in all i mean i'm sorry i think to ignore this category and to to take that approach is pretty wrong um i think there are going to be brands obviously that are are going to make basically just alcohol delivery systems but there are going to be brands that are going to look to create things of craft i mean if you look at a brand like willie superbrew that already exists that is doing that that's getting tons of attention on the craft side that's making Seltzers, quote unquote. I mean, look, Zach, the other options that this category's name expands, right? But you are going to see this sort of category that becomes this sort of lower calorie, lower alcohol sessionable beverage that is not based on, that is not a just lower calorie sessionable beer or a lower calorie sessionable wine uh, expand with unique flavors. So like the Willie Superbrew is making like ginger apple refreshers, right? But, th- but they're using fresh ingredients as exactly. well. They're not brewing malt and adding natural flavors. They are using fresh fruit to create those 
seltzer. You're going to see wine-based spritzers become a, another big thing that I think, I mean, look, come on, man. Like that's basically what fucking piquette is. Like if we're, if we're being honest, like that's <laughs> what it is. And hipsters are more than willing to jump in and say, that's the new cool stuff. And then they want to be like, but there's no story in the seltzer space. Like, but everyone should write about piquette. Like, let's be clear. It's the same thing. So like, I, I think you, you become a snob when you basically say that this doesn't have areas where we should talk, where the consumers are interested and, and learn to drink. And let's also be clear. We have to be, pay attention to it because this is going to be a category that fundamentally affects the taste preferences of the ne- of Generation Z. So if you're sitting here listening to this podcast and you're saying, hmm, I didn't really pay attention to millennials and now I don't really know how to market to them and I'm pretty screwed with what I should, which should have them drink. And then you're like, oh, and you know, screw hard seltzer. I've, I've been told I drop a lot of F-bombs on the show, but I don't really care a fucking hard seltzer you're an idiot because these kids are whether one admitted or not illegally drinking underage in high school and college and this is what they are drinking and we are seeing right now pitches come into us who are saying hey i'm a 21 year old that started this brand at williams college for example it's this one called crossed that, that just got started and it's a hard seltzer and this is what they want to drink and so if we don't understand that these are the flavor profiles also that they are coming in contact to first there is no way we're going to get them to move to really amazing wines and great cocktails and really good craft beers unless we understand what they started drinking in the first place um and so that's why i think we have to pay attention to this category we have to write about it even if it's not the thing that ultimately all of us go home and drink every day there are still stories here and there's still important reporting here mic drop fair enough can't argue i like that i can't argue from zach I don't really get that. Erica, I don't know if you expected all of this when you first, when you first What have I jumped into? <laughs> I, I hope you listen to the podcast before you agree to join. It <laughs> would be a bad decision otherwise. But I do think actually one of the exciting angles that we're going to see evolve is the, the new brands and the new products that are jumping into the space. I mean, we just did, we've just been doing some tastings and there's actually some pretty interesting products here. I mean, there's uh, Barefoot has, you know, they have now jumped into the fray with some hard seltzers. Um, wine-based. Gal- seltzer. Yeah, wine-based. Gallo also has this new, uh, I actually don't even know if it's new, but recent High Noon, High noon Fair, um, new, yeah. which we just tried and that was pretty good. So I think that there are some pretty compelling uh flavors and drinking experiences that you can get from hard seltzer that I think is when you go to a party this summer, I feel like you're going to see the coolers packed with a lot more cans and they are going to be hard seltzer and there's going to be fewer mixers and bottles on the table. It's just easier. So so I think as well, like in, in terms of looking at this from a writer's perspective, now I personally can't spend all of my time writing about just those things that I want to drink, as Erica mentioned. But, you know, what if we are comparing hard seltzer to beer once again? What if I come across like a 12% imperial stout? I don't want to fucking drink a beer like that. That is so strong, and there is no place for that in my life. But because that's craft, because that's cool, because there's like barrel-aged releases every year, that's a more interesting story. That's a story I have to care more about than... A guy, I don't know, like brewing hard seltzer from fresh ginger, whatever. Like, those stories are equally important to me, regardless of whether I drink them or not. I agree. So I think, I think you know, moral story is we got to pay more attention to what's happening here. I think you will see this category continue to grow. There's a lot of stories there. There's a lot of people trying to do interesting things. Um, don't knock it if you haven't tried it. If you haven't tried to understand from the people that are drinking it why they're drinking it. Um, because I think it's 
it's just very short-sighted to say that everyone is drinking it simply because it's low calorie or simply because there's this, you know, movement of sociability. Really try to understand why the person who is choosing it is choosing it, um, what the motivation is there. Because again, like across all areas of drinking, right? We we can't create these stereotypes of this is who this person is and this is why. And again, this is the most disruptive movement to happen in drinks in the last 40 years. So we better pay attention to it. Yeah. And I think you can just look at the cultural landscape. I mean, there are, there's now a national seltzer festival, this seltzer land that is in something like 10 cities. Um, It's coming to Brooklyn in May. Um, and right. then there's another Brooklyn. one. Yeah, exactly. Brooklyn. And, you guys and Fizz Fight, another one. On um, so you look at all the memes and the videos oh, and, you know, everything that's happening around this. Like, there's a lot of energy. People seem to be excited about it. And while I personally may not choose to drink this all the time, <laughs> <laughs> I still am excited to see that people are excited about it. Exactly. So, yeah, moral of the story, get out there, try some of it, and at least pay attention to it. So I just want to jump in as well with one more point, which is kind of like you cannot equate all beer to being Bud Light. And if you're looking at hard seltzer and you just think that it's White Claw, then I think that's a big mistake. Thank you, Tim, for wrapping it up nicely. Well, Erica, I hope you enjoyed your uh, your first episode. Scintillating. Of, we're going to call it uh, VP BC Erica and VP <laughs> uh, what AC Erica after I don't know. I can't. I'll, I'll figure it out later. I tried to make a joke. It didn't work. Um, Zach, as always, thank you. Um, and for everyone out there, thanks for listening. Um, please, if you enjoy the podcast, give us a review. Shout us uh, on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts. It helps everyone else discover the show. You're making this one of the most listened to podcasts uh, in the drinks space. So thank you so much for that. And we will see everyone here right back here again next week. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you like what you've heard, please rate us or review us wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps people discover the show. Now for the credits. The Vine Pair Podcast is produced by myself and Zach Jabal and is engineered by Nick Patrie. We're recorded out of Cloud Studios in Seattle, Washington, and also in our New York City headquarters. I'd also like to give a special shout out to my co-founder, Josh Mallon, and the rest of the Vine Pair staff who help us conceive of the show every single week. Thanks again for listening.